The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Oops, oops, oops. <laughs> you are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Well, welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and to my left is Billy I. Candy Kimsey. Like an extreme warhead, pucker up and get ready for the sweetness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's I great. Remember, I forgot about the that warheads. That was a good one. You forgot about the warhead? They've got extreme warheads now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the warheads were extreme enough for me. Oh, I got some in my pocket. I'm like a creepy old guy that carries candy. You got an candy. extreme warhead in your pocket? <laughs> yeah. well, <laughs> are you just happy to see us? <laughs> so happy. Oh, geez. And geez. behind the glass is Rocket Man, Andy Bishop. And Sarita the Edge, Edgerton. What's up, y'all? <laughs> Da-na-na, da-na-na, Cherry the Annihilator Lewis. Hello. And to my right, even though this is not a holiday edition, it is a special edition. We do have a special guest in the studio for a testimony, but my wife Holly is here. Hi. Hi. So today, guys... Um, we have, well, two special guests actually, but one here for the testimony. The other one, we're going to do another show later, but you can speak, I guess. We might let you talk. <laughs> we'll allow it. But, uh, uh, so my great friend, Emily Malloy French, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Emily is uh, a social worker, uh, here locally. And, uh, also she is the creator of the Mindful Evolution Project, uh, which is, um, for rape survivors, survivors of domestic abuse, uh, physical abuse, um, and it's where they can share their stories through photography and videography. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have seen some of the stuff that you put out, and it really is amazing. It's cool. It's an interesting way, you know, to express yourself. And Thank so you. Cool. And her husband, they are newlyweds. They got married just a few weeks ago. Yes, we did. We all remember her as Emily Malloy, but she is Emily Malloy French. And Ryan <laughs> French is here with us. Hello, Ryan. Hello. It's good to be here. Yeah, I think I need to release those old once upon a time things. Like just throw them in here and there when we did that funny movie thing for the witch. Remember that? Oh, really? Yeah. And we did that here back in the old studio. So. That was fun. I Rick, Rick that. on my YouTube, I actually have that um, interview we did at length. Oh, you do? It's on there, the video of it. About the Magnus Maleficarum and all that? I don't remember what was on it, but yeah, that was a. Malleus, the Malleus Maleficarum. I'm not sure what I did earlier today. Don't look at me. (laughs) (laughs) He still has his slippers on. (laughs) Yeah, he does. Yeah, absolutely. So, Emily, have you ever heard any of our testimony episodes? A few. Have you noticed what our first question always is? Mm -hmm. So, I'll ask you, um, can you tell me your earliest memory of when you heard the name Jesus Christ? So, I was actually thinking of this yesterday. And I would say I was probably seven or eight that I remember. Mm -hmm. Um, I was still living in New York, um, and I went with my friend Courtney to her church. I was like, I loved it. I loved the people. They were really nice. And it was a Methodist church. And then I remember hearing Jesus. My other memory is of my dad. And if you've met him, he's from Long Island. And he would say the name Jesus a lot. <laughs> like a curse word? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you heard the name Jesus. Got really, it. Yeah. Yeah. Really invoking the Lord. <laughs> Cheese and rice. Cheese and rice. Yeah. That's another one. And so from that period of time, can you take us through your story? Because I, you know, um, talk about your salvation story, or if you want to talk about leading up to it, we just want to hear from that point till now. Sure. Um, so I would start with, I guess I'll start with the child part of, okay. of you know, when we first moved to North Carolina, I was about 10, and my mom and I were living there. My brother was still with my dad in New York. And my Aunt Karen, um, who has passed, one of my favorite aunts, um, was going to a church, um, a church that is still near and dear to my heart that I went to for about, gosh, over 20 years. And um, we went to this church, a Methodist church locally, and people were so nice, like really nice. Like I've never seen people hug me so much and want to me to be part of 
just in a room. It was really nice and warm. And I remember going to Sunday school and I wanted to get baptized and it was my choice. And um, I got baptized and I had no idea what it meant. Um, so every Sunday I was at church and during, you know, this time, um, my dad, who I love him to death, but my dad struggled with alcoholism. He's been sober um, almost two years, hmm. um, which is really awesome. Yeah, congratulations to him. Yes, it's on Halloween, actually. <laughs> oh, wow. And um, so my dad is, is doing well. Um, but my dad struggled a lot with his own trauma, his own uh, trauma as a child. And so he struggled with alcohol. And um, my former stepmom, um, uh, who actually reached out to me on Facebook about six years ago and apologized for all the holidays she ruined. Mm. Um, a lot of times her and my dad would get drunk and fight. And, you know, to this day, that is traumatic for me. I, I don't like confrontation. I kind of freeze up. And it's something I'm learning to work through. Um, but that was part of, of my story that led into, you know, a girl with daddy issues who m- my dad was a part-time dad in my life, a lot of my life. And we were very close and I've forgiven him. But it was really hard because I didn't have my dad. So then my, my stepdad comes into my life um, when I was about 11, 11 and a half. And he was there when my dad couldn't be there, which is, you know, why I had both my dads walk me down the aisle because they're both my dads. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so he w- was everything that my dad couldn't be at the time. He was, he was that for me. Um, and I, I remember, you know, things happening that as children, with we repress things, right? I remember um, just things coming out when I was in high school. Like I remember when I was 15 and I struggled with body image. And I remember that I did not like that I was gaining weight. And so I had a friend who um, was anorexic. And I I remember I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to learn from her. I need to be like that. So then um, I was introduced to Anna and Mia, which are um, the code names for anorexia and bulimia. And at 14, 15 is when I started to skip meals. And then I realized, oh, I I can't do that. I like food too much. So then I would eat and throw up and it felt amazing. And part of why I'm sharing that is because I dealt with that off and on from the time I was 15 to the time I was about 27. And I called myself a part-time bulimic, jokingly, but for real. Um, And I hit it. I hit it so well. And I, I, I remember one time I was at church and I turned white and I was a nursery assistant at church for years. And my mom was like, are you okay? And I said, I think I took too many diet pills. And she just said, girl, we're throwing those down, down the toilet. You don't need those. You're beautiful. And yet, you know, I needed more. And so, you know, I didn't take any more of those diet pills. However, things continue to happen in my life. And I was still close to God. I, I went to church every Sunday. I became a lay witness speaker for the Methodist ministry. And I traveled around sharing my testimony um, at age 15, 16. And I loved it. I was on fire. At 18, I, um, you know, I gave my first sermon. And it was amazing. I was like a substitute minister in Methodist churches for from 18 to age 23, 24. And I still would speak at my church um, until I was about 28. And I felt on fire. I love speaking and sharing and connecting to people. But I repressed something that happened to me when I was 17. And when I was 17, um, I was at a football game with a friend of mine. um, And I was just wearing jeans and a t-shirt. And we were invited to a party um, after a football game. And uh, something was slipped in my drink. And if you're familiar, that is what a lot of people call date rape. And I trusted this guy. I had a crush on him. And I, uh, two other guys who I also trusted were involved. And then that became gang rape. Hmm. 
And so um, I repressed that for a while. I repressed it to where I started using substances off and on. I partied a lot, but I was still going to church <laughs> every Sunday. I'd go up, show up hungover, but I was there. I would give a sermon and be there and I would do a really good job, but I was, something was hurting on the inside. And so I learned, you know, the people I was hanging out with were toxic and it was just not, it wasn't good. And I was so good at hiding it and grinning and burying it. I succeeded in college. I did really well. I was a preschool teacher for seven years. And then through all this time, I um, was stuck. I didn't know what I um, what I wanted. I didn't want to be a preschool teacher anymore. I was trying to be an elementary school teacher, and it wasn't working out for me. So I'm like, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm racking up all the student loan debt. <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I was really frustrated. And um, I kept I kept praying, even when I didn't hear anything. I was like, okay, I know you're there. I'm just gonna just gonna continue. And in 2012, there was a um, a mission trip to Costa Rica that I I really wanted to go on. And um, our our pastor at the time, who married us, uh, Veronita, I was worried about the money, and I said, I, I don't know how I'm gonna raise that money. I don't know how I'm gonna get to go. She's like, Do you trust me? I'm like, Well, yeah. Do you trust God? Yeah, we're going to raise the money. You're going to get to go. And I was so worried I wasn't going to get to go to Costa Rica, but we raised the money and I went. And it was in Costa Rica helping people that I was like, why don't I just get paid to help people? I love helping people, right? (laughs) So um, that is when I changed my major and I went to school for social work. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, that was a healing experience in itself because I— I had to deal with my own stuff. Um, I went to Mars Hill University. Um, I love Mars Hill. I've spoken there and shared my story there. And I I loved it. I knew when I had my social work interview, I was in the right place. It was part of my, my next part of my story. And I was so excited, but I didn't realize that I was going to have to dig up my own trauma. I didn't realize that I was told you have to deal with your own stuff before you can help someone else. And I didn't know that I would do this thing, which I recommend to look into a genogram where I had to interview my mom and my dad who both have trauma in their lives as children and interview them about their trauma. And in both sides of my family, we have suicide, overdose, homicide. We have addiction, domestic abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, and it all made sense. It all made sense because I realized that sometimes what happens to you and and kind of things that happen, obstacles, you know, they're generational sometimes. And so what happened to my dad, he was so abused, you know, happened to his dad, and it's just generational trauma. And so I really got to dig deep. And I had to write um, a psychosocial assessment where I had to write about my own stuff. And it was hard. It was really hard, but it was so cathartic. It was therapeutic. I was digging stuff up and I was putting it out there. And I was in therapy and, you know, it was doing well. And I, I realized I was growing and the friends in my life were not. And it's interesting because I was close to two girls for a long time um, who I still love them. They're just not meant to be in my life right now, but they both were also raped. Hmm. And it's interesting how if you don't deal with your trauma, you continue to use ways to cope. And I was growing. I was dealing with it. I was like, what we're doing is not okay. You know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do a line of cocaine. I don't want to go to the club. And it was just, it, it started to feel like I was needing to move on from them, but I didn't because I'm a helper 
and a lover, and I would take care of them. But I wasn't doing that stuff anymore as much, but I was still friends with them, and I was the good one. And um, it was in that time um, where I was healing and in therapy where I I met my now husband, Hmm. um, who's, you know, he's also part of my story. Um, He was the first man who I ever felt understood me. And he taught, you know, self-defense to to women and how to use a firearm properly. And a lot of his um, clients were uh, survivors of rape. And I remember when we were working on on Red, um, which is a, it was a a local, going to be a local TV show, but it didn't work out, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay, because I, I have Ryan, so I have a husband out of it, so I'm pretty thankful. Um, <laughs> but he had to teach me how to use a firearm, you know, to make it look real in a TV show. And we spent a lot of time together. And I he helped me. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. I remember that connection now. That's why. Because of the firearms. Yeah. yeah. Because of the firearms. That's did, right. did he ever come up from behind you and go like this? This is how you're supposed <laughs> to do it, Emily? We, we were focused on other Patrick Swayze movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she kind of did the wraparound ghost move is what Sarita was showing. It's, uh, it's normal. So for that's right. I remember that now. I, that, yeah. that had slipped my mind, but you're right. That well, of course you're right, but I'm, you know, I just, I just uh, remembered that. So that's yeah. really cool. Sorry it, to interrupt. But. No, you're fine. I, I, I just, you know, he was, it, it was really cool because. Do you want to um, tell Michael Spears that you forgive him now? Yeah. It's all right, right? Michael, Michael Spears, <laughs> we forgive you. We forgive you. He well, listens to the show. He did a testimony here. I know. I heard it. Yeah. What, oh, what is you? he being forgiven yeah. for? Because he didn't finish the project. Oh, And then yeah. he moved away. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. We love Michael anyway. <laughs> yes, we love you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and so, you know, it was in that, you know, meeting Ryan in social work. My first job, you know, I helped individuals, um, with dual diagnosis, um, with mental health and substance use, um, gain employment. And I, you know, that was, oh, that was eye opening. And, and then I helped children with severe trauma, um, and intensive in home, um, with placement. And I did that for three years. And then, you know, it, it's all just part, it's all connected. It's just all connected because I don't know. I, I believe God works in mysterious ways. And, when I didn't know, when I felt lost and I didn't know where I was going, he knew. And he, and he knew, like, you know, you know, this is part of your story. And that takes me into Mindful Evolution Project um, and how, how that got started. Mm-hmm. So how that got started is—sorry, um, I have a small head. I'm trying to fix these uh, <laughs> headphones. Sorry, guys. Um, and how that got started— is in 2018. So I was a, I am a, a volunteer speaker for Rain, and what Rain is is, um, it's a. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's um, R A I N N, and it's Rape, Abuse, Incest, Neglect Network, and it's for survivors um, who can volunteer. You you just fill out some an application, you share your story, um, writing it down, you send it in. And then you become a volunteer speaker, and they send you emails of all these um, opportunities to speak at colleges, universities, um, especially for SAM, Sexual Assault Awareness Month, um, which is in April. And I, 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 I like to post a lot in April. And it just, I was like, you know, I'm ready to share my story. And so I, I got gigs starting in 2018, and I spoke at Mars Hill University where I went, and it was so awesome to be back there. And I, um, I, I spoke at uh, Survivor Nights in um, in Philadelphia, and I, it was just really cool. But it was a, it was an event that Ryan went with me. It was the first time he heard me speak, and it was at um, I can't remember the university. Do you remember? No, Lenore Ryan University, and I just. Ryan and I were driving home and I, I remember sharing my story with football players and, you know, they were there for extra credit, but they were there and I was happy <laughs> they were there, you know, um, and 
it was just really cool to share it with a room full of students, right? Because I know, as we know, the statistics, I don't know if you're aware, um, but one in three women are raped before they're 18, and one in six men are are raped before they're um, 18. And so those are pretty big. Mm-hmm. So I knew I was talking to people in that room who had experienced it. No matter how many times I hear that number, one in three, it just, it never, it never fails to be a shock the next time you hear it. Mm-hmm. Never. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I, Ryan and I were talking and he, you know, I don't know what clicked that night, but I wanted to start something. And I'm like, I want to, I want to make a nonprofit. And that's still my goal is to make Mindful Evolution Project a nonprofit. But it was the me project and that's what it's still, you know, is, is short for. But we were trying to figure out the name. Yeah. We, we were, we had a long drive back. Um, I think we were just trying to distill it, but make it, so that it doesn't uh, get lost in the sauce of social media stuff. So we were just trying to elaborate and stretch it out and define it over and over again and like what, what that could be. And Yeah. And, um, and so we've decided on the Mindful Evolution Project together. He helped me uh, come up with that name. I believe you did. Didn't you help me? Uh, yeah. I think I was asking you what, like, like what are the critical elements for like, you from your point of view? And, yeah. and you, you kept saying mindfulness. And things like that. Yeah. And then. Yeah, because it's about evolving. You know what I mean? It's about changing um, because we should never be stagnant and we should always be better, want to be better tomorrow than we are today. And so I kind of just got inspired because I was already in social work. And I'm like, wow, you know, what, what's the first step in that? And it was like, make an Instagram. <laughs> okay. Make a Facebook page. Okay. And. Those are on there, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember whenever you sent me the invite, and I was like, "What's this all about?" And I was like, "Oh, wow, it's so cool." And so, what that means is, um, I'll explain. So it's um, so how I, I launched it is I shared my story with a photographer, uh, Donna Angel, um, and I and I asked her to come with me, and I'd met her through Michael Spears. Mm-hmm. Michael, you've, I've met a lot of people through Michael Spears, so I will always love Michael. But anyway, you met me through Michael Spears. I did, yep. and I I love you. And I know, I, and I love Michael. you. Isn't that great? He's so great. See, Mike, we still love you. See, Aww. <laughs> he was at the wedding with us, by the way. Yes, it was good. Yeah, yes, he was. Um, and, and so, so we 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 shared my story um, through photography. Um, and so the first phase was. We shared it in symbolic ground. So we went back to the place where I was invited to that party, where to me, symbolic ground is the place that changed my life and where I I lost part of myself. And going back there and taking those pictures, it's like I got my power back. It was really amazing. And... Um, and then we we did we took pictures where we were going back to how it felt to be in that moment, and that was hard. It was hard. And so then I I shared these pictures, and the, and the final phase was the freedom, and how one of the pictures it's me holding my own cage, and I'm in the cage, and it's about the next picture is I'm holding the cage and there's a dove flying out. And so it's about, you know, we can open that door and we can let ourselves out of that dark place. And so I launched my pictures and my website and then I just, I reached out to other survivors, but, but I'm no, I'm sorry. They reached out to me mm-hmm. through confidentiality. And um, I shared, we shared their story. I did their pictures and COVID kind of put that on. <laughs> Freeze. Yeah, yeah. like but, everything else, sure. Right, yeah. So um, I don't know what the next step is for my project. I, I've spoken, you know, to a few people at universities and in Philadelphia. And I'm not sure what God has in store for it, but I know it's not over. And I post a lot about statistics and um, empowerment. And, you know, I, I never forget the male survivors. Um, I have a good friend who is a male survivor who I met through speaking. Um, so yeah, that is kind of, I guess where I'm at. And, and now I'm an investigative social worker and I, I investigate child abuse and neglect. And um, that's gotta be tough on you. Yeah. yeah. 
Because you yeah. relive the trauma every time you see it in someone else. Am I right? Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. You you know, you have to do self-check and self-awareness a lot. Um, do you feel more of a, like more endeared? I mean, obviously people can look at a child and say, oh, I feel for that child. But mm-hmm. when you've been through it, it's mm-hmm. almost like you have a, it's almost like you have a one-up on other people because you really understand the depth of what it does to the mind. Mm-hmm. I would which think. Is, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. able to reach out. And I've always wondered if a lot of people who help other people that are in trauma, if they've actually, it's because they come from that experience in their life. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if you look, um, most of us social workers are in the field because we we went through it. Mm-hmm. Um, a big percentage. A hu- I mean, gosh, I mean, I. it's like a lot. Mm-hmm. And... But again, you have to make sure to work through your own stuff before, you know, you can um, help someone. Um, but yeah, I, I absolutely get triggered a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a support system at my job and they, they are, you know, really supportive with self-care. And, um, and I'm not ashamed of of my story or, or what I've done, it's it's helping other families because when it's appropriate, you know, I'll share a little piece mm-hmm. because they're like, what do you know? Or how can you relate to me? I'm like, I didn't walk in your shoes, but I walked in mine. Right. You know, I'm here because of similar things that led me to wanting to help people. And when I, when I share and I'm raw and I'm open and I'm honest, I have great rapport with my families. And it's because I treat them like a human. You know, they're humans, and I meet them where they are. And, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful experience. Yeah. So uh, just for the just so you understand, you're one in three, okay? Mm-hmm. And I've, I've never shared this publicly, and I'm going to share it publicly tonight. But I was viciously raped when I was five years old by a 16-year-old boy. And mm. I know what it means— to have that innocence stripped away. I was five, so I didn't know anything, of course, but I knew that I stopped trusting people. I knew I'd, I even stopped trusting my parents because I was put in this position, you know? And so as I grow and I see those, I see your eyes, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I feel and I understand, but I had to go through that too. And I had to, I went through some serious cognitive behavioral therapy. I needed that because mine came out of me through anger. Uh, everything was anger for me. It, you know, it, it, people would look at me and it'd look at me funny, and I'd be like, "Bah!" You know, I would just get so mad. I still have those moments, actually. I, mean, I still I feel- cannot imagine that. Yeah, <laughs> me getting don't. angry. <laughs> yeah, I don't, oh, I do. I don't Ask my wife. <laughs> but the <clears throat> the reality was, you know, at the age of five, you don't know anything. You know, and sexuality does not need to be introduced to a child. But it did. It opened up my sexuality, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you, then I would do something, you know. And then I would be made to feel shame because I had done something where I was acting out. I was a child. I was acting out. And um, so then it was always like the shame upon shame, you know. And so by the time that, and this isn't my testimony. I'm saying it because you opened up about it. I wanted you to know that your statistics are right in this room, yeah. right? So it's real. And um yeah, so by the time that I by the time I got old enough to really understand, I was so lost. I was so lost. And uh my relationship to God is it's a very weird and unique one, you know. I stayed with a family that, you know, um when all of that happened to me, I was in a home where the Bible was there and everything was normal, but there was no what you did was you swept everything under the rug. You didn't talk about it. And back then, they didn't have the same kind of therapy that they do today, you know, which I think is remarkable. I'm glad that they do. But, you know, when people like you who come out and say, hey, you're a survivor, I, you know, when I heard that word, I would always say, I'm not a survivor. I'm not a survivor. I'm not a survivor. And then suddenly I was like, I think she's right. We are surviving because it strips you of your humanity. And if you feel like you've been in bondage forever. So by the time I met Christ— it was like, all I wanted was the love. I didn't care about hell. I didn't care about heaven. I didn't care about all your rules and regulations and your building and all that stuff. I didn't care about any of that. I just heard that God loved me. And I was like, I want that. I don't know what that means, but I want it. I want it. And it's like, it's a, it's a love that never ends, you know? And so, of course, you know, I had the atheist 
mindset, you know, and I could always argue with myself all the time, but the love kept penetrating me. And I kept saying, oh man, this is really something. But I also had people that suggested, you know, Christian counseling. And I don't want to knock Christian counseling. So don't get me wrong here. But there's only so many times that I need to hear the name Jesus. I needed serious help, very serious help. And somebody saying, Jesus can fix you. Yes, it's true. But there's a specific way that you have to do it. And mm-hmm. I think CBT is that way. For me, it worked because we didn't talk about my past. We talked about what I dealt with in the present. Mm-hmm. See, can you uh, tell us what CBT is? Cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. And I met— That makes sense once you hear it. Yeah. And, you know, I remember—I went to several Christian counselors, and it was always about what is your worth? What is your value? What is your worth? And I would say, you know, a lot of times I feel worthless. You know, I shouldn't yell at my child or I shouldn't yell at my wife. Why am I like this? You know, and it's because of all that trauma. You yeah. know that, right? You yeah. acted out too. You had your own ways. You went partying, mm-hmm. you know, and you were trying to live that out, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I did. And and another, and I, I don't talk about this one as much, but another repressed memory that I have is of my first, um, I was 11 um, and this came, this came out in college, um, I was in a, a child sexual abuse training and there was um, a survivor's story and it was about a, f- a female cousin um, sexually abusing her. And um, that was when that repressed memory of a trip at the Outer Banks came rushing back and I had to excuse myself to the bathroom because I remember a female cousin touching me mm-hmm. and and it makes sense because it connects to the eating disorder, mm-hmm. right? Because that's how I was controlling. I was I was thinking I was controlling this because it couldn't control this. And it's it's you got to heal the trauma. You have to heal the trauma, and and that's why. Thank you for sharing, Rick. And I love you. Yeah, I love you. And I'm telling you, it is out there, and we have to talk about it mm-hmm. because if we don't talk about it, it's going to keep happening. And we need to heal the trauma because if we don't, we're going to continue to see it. This generational trauma with our families and it's heartbreaking and it's getting worse and it's not getting better. And so I, I just hope that my project, I hope to take it global one day yeah, and travel and just like have a, a huge, huge army of survivors and just going and helping and just like going into villages where it's scary, where they're getting raped all the time. Yes. Right? Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and if I don't know if you know this, but um, this is something I used to do when I gave a talk is I'd make everyone set their phone. I'd make them set it for um, 98 seconds. And I haven't looked at that number. I should have looked, but it was it was every 98 seconds somebody was um, sexually assaulted in the United States. And that's just the United States. And every eight minutes, a child is abused, is sexually mm. abused. And those are some things, if you set your phone, it's a reminder that that's it's just, whew. yeah. Yeah, that'll explode you. One thing I like that Rick just said, and I, and I actually have two points, is he said he was violently, I didn't like this, but the way he said it, he said, I was violently raped. And a lot of people will, I don't want to say gloss that over, but they'll say, I was abused as a child. No, no. You can be smacked across the face, right. you know, hit. That's child abuse. But when you're sexually assaulted as a child, as I was, as Rick was, as yeah. you were, that's rape. Yeah. That's rape. Mm-hmm. That's the word. We Everybody hates that word. Nobody mm-hmm. likes the word rape. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to hear it. But when he said that, he could have glossed it over and said, I was abused at mm-hmm. five years old. Right. But he said it in a way that we all went, like, I know I did. I know I kind of like, because it's so traumatic. The word is traumatic. Mm-hmm. But... To your point that you you didn't say this specifically, but when you get past the shame, that's when you get your power back because Satan no longer has that control. And I don't know what your beliefs are on Satan, but he doesn't have that control over you anymore mm-hmm. because shame keeps us quiet. It keeps us in our corner. It keeps us isolated. It keeps us in the dark because nobody else has gone through what I've gone through. Nobody else, but that's a lie. Mm -hmm. That's a lie. And when you get let that shame go, and and you kind of alluded to it, that's where you got your power back. And and confronting you went actually went physically to the place. Many people may not be able to go back to where they were assaulted, but 
it was powerful for you there. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I teach my daughters and my sons, but my daughters always watching, you know, um, never leave a store and have your phone, you know, yeah. and, and, and always watching and things like that. And my husband said, why do you do that? And I said, because I've been assaulted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm always watching. Mm-hmm. And he goes, he said, nine times out of 10, he said, I never even think about it because it's never happened to me. Mm-hmm. Most men probably never leave a store with their head on a swivel mm-hmm. like this or drive when they're driving by themselves, walking, right. running, whatever, never always looking. Mm-hmm. I run. Mm-hmm. armed mm-hmm. or walk armed. I don't go even in my neighborhood. Like, so, I mean, it's something that most men, unless you have been a victim, don't think about. You just mm-hmm. walk out of a store, go to your truck, get in it, drive away. Mm-hmm. You know, we're walking out looking at every single person, every single car that drives by. I mean, it, it's women just have, I'm sorry, guys, but women just have have it a little different because we are sometimes more vulnerable, mm. not my daughters and not me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. remember one of the, uh, when you have a trauma like that, you know, it will surface at different times of your life in different ways. It manifests, right? Like you you described. And one of my manifestations was after I had my, my children. Mm-hmm. And I, when Kate and Joey uh, and Maddie were young, when they were little, I developed agoraphobia and I'd never had it before. And uh, if you don't know what that means, it's basically the fear of leaving your home. And um, if anybody knows me, I have no fear of leaving my home. But at that stage of my life, when my kids were little, I started freaking out. Now, I didn't have a problem leaving on my own. But if I took my kids anywhere in public, I was paralyzed. And it created a, a lot of friction in my marriage because... My wife at the time was very open, you know, and like, let's go, let's do these things. Let's go to the fair. And I was like, I'm never going to the fair. There's no way. Because I can I can look at that guy that's right over there and I do not trust him. And he could be perfectly fine, but I just didn't trust him. You know, his hair was unkempt. And that reminded me of the boy. And I thought, that guy is a sicko. He was perfectly fine. He, pro- for all I know, he could have been the greatest human being walking the planet. But I was in, I was feeling these things. You know, they when you, when you go through trauma, you know how you can feel it on your hands, almost like it's a, you can almost feel a buzz to yourself. It, yeah. Right. A buzz. That's yeah. a good way to put it. It's, it's like a buzz. You know, and you, your you finger's your, single. Yeah, you yeah. feel it on. It's it's like you develop this way to feel your surroundings, and yeah. you're very aware of them. Yeah. And so, but they're irrational. They're rational and irrational. You know. And so you got to yeah. try to figure out ways to swim through that, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, the Lord helped me tremendously. Mm-hmm. I delved into the Word, and I got deep into the Word. That's mm-hmm. why I have such a passion for it. Mm-hmm. It saved not only the Word, but Christ saved me from that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not afraid of, of these kinds of things. I don't walk around with a gun personally, and, and it's fine that you do. I'm just saying, like, for me, like, I don't care whatsoever. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I'm not concerned whatsoever. Mm-hmm. If it's my day to go, I'm going. You know, if somebody tries to hurt my kid, I'm going to stop them. You know, that's that's the way it is. Yeah. And I went to a Christian counselor for that, right? Mm-hmm. But I was very fortunate. My wife today, we we both have great spouses, you and I, yeah. because we can talk. Like I told her all of these things and she listens, you know, and that's important to yes. be able to say, you know, that when people say, speak my truth, I used to hate hearing that. Like, I want to speak my truth, you know, and I'm like, oh, whatever. And I was like, eh, actually, I'm okay with it. Maybe you need to, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Our friend Tiziana, you know, shared on here, and she was viciously raped by a pastor of a church, you know? Mm-hmm. I got to introduce you to Tizi. Yeah. I've got to. She yeah, just had a baby. You're not going to see her for months, yeah. but. <laughs> yeah. That'd probably be a good pair, though. Tizi, definitely. And I think you two would really get along. Tizi, she is mm-hmm. on fire for God. And when she goes crazy, man, and she is wild. She, She's uh, energetic. Very yes, much yes. so. But, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, by the time this episode releases, you know, it's long past due, but uh, Tiziana's baby Jubilee was born. Oh yeah, yeah, very healthy baby, and Aww. mom, mom's at home. But she's, um, she, she very much understands that she had to go through. Like she shaved her head, man, and left, and Andy took, you know, Andy and his friend took her in and all that. So it's Aww. nice to have a support system yeah. of people that care about you, you know, and love you. And um, but that's, you know, I think it's remarkable that you can speak openly, even to the public, you know, just to people that you don't even know. It was a little bit easier for me because you opened up for me to open up here. I've never said that publicly. It's like coming from a, a place of both ignorance and lack of experience, but but it does it does seem like like the stigma 
against it is what makes people blame themselves, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and and that's why it's so hard to to speak up, but it just seems like it's really important to be able to say that. Mm-hmm. Not not to be made to say that, but to be able to say it mm-hmm. yeah. uh, seems like super important for people. Well, and there's something I say, you know, um, Rick, I'm, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you shared. And I, I've, I've had this experience before where I've had a survivor come to me and say, this is the first time. And I'm telling you, when you, when you hold that in your hands and you hold that in your heart, <laughs> that's like a, that's a lot. And I always say to them, you know, sharing is healing mm-hmm. when you are ready. Mm-hmm. It's when you are ready. Sure. It, 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 you know, I, I wasn't ready for a while. And um, gosh, I mean, late 20s for me. Um, and it was every time I shared, I felt like I was healing a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we don't understand just how rampant it actually is in our society. I mean, you, you're using, you know, these... Um, statistics. And if we were to really set our phones to remind us, we would probably get a good feeling of what it's like. Mm -hmm. Did you say every eight seconds, a child? Every eight minutes. Every eight minutes. And then every 98 seconds? Yes. Someone is assaulted in the U.S. 98 seconds. Mm -hmm. A minute and a half. Well, you know, child sex trafficking or Mm -hmm. sex trafficking, we have more slaves in the world today than we have ever had from the beginning of time because of child sex trafficking. And you think like, Taken, like the movie Taken, that was just a small tidbit of that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there are several homes in the area where women go to heal when they get rescued to heal. There's one in Charlotte, there's one in Raleigh, there's one in um, Atlanta. There's several, but Mm -hmm. um, to hear your story would probably be amazing for them to hear that, that you can, they can come back from that. Mm -hmm. Um, Because those statistics are probably not even calculated in those, those, those things. And, um, yeah. What is your, at any point, did you blame God for anything? Cause it sounds to me like you just went on for the glory of God and just like, boom, boom, boom. I'm going to start talking. I'm gonna do all that. But did you ever have any like deep heartfelt things like, God, why did you let this happen to me? I was angry. I mean, I was angry. Um, but I, I, I think I just made a, I don't, I never turned away. I made a connection. I think what really helped is my, my mom and dad are both very open about their past. Mm-hmm. My, you know, my, my mom and dad, they both have their own stories of abuse, right? And they're both different. And my mom never hid that from me. And I think that is why I saw my mom on fire for God. But I, you know, my mom had to find a, a church that accepted her mm-hmm. and because she grew up Southern Baptist and, you know, <laughs> was turned away, you know, for saying, you know, just that's her story to say. I'm not going to share it. But but she came back to God when she found a church that accepted her. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't think I ever blamed God. I, I, I would say I was angry, but I, I just think that I, I dove deep into research and statistics and I and I people were placed in my life that had similar experiences and I I, I think I'm still here today because I didn't turn away mm-hmm. because I kept going to church because I, I, I started sharing my story and connecting it to my faith. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the families I work with every night, I pray for my current families, my former families I've worked with and my future families. Every night I say that. I don't say names. God knows who they are. I just say that because I'm, I never know what I'm going to encounter. I have some scary days and I just pray about it. Yeah. I had this very cathartic moment personally because of the because of the way that I believe in God's sovereignty. I believe that nothing surprises him ever. And it's easy to point the finger at the world and you know, I and say, or oh, it's the devil, or it's the mm-hmm. world, or whatever. And I, to me, it was that was a very weak argument because God had to allow everything. Mm-hmm. It's easy; just read the Book of Job. You can learn all you want about it. There are moments whenever things are going to happen to you, and 
uh, one of the one of the things that Job said was that the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And after this intense study on Job's life and everything that happened to him, and you know, let's keep in mind his kids were murdered. Um, he lost everything that he had, and all that was left was him in sores, you know, in ash, you know, <laughs> just sitting there, and he still never cursed God. And I thought, why is that, you know? And then it, I suddenly realized— He's another example of somebody who has a really great wife. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a nagging wife. Yeah, but you know, he never said, why didn't you take her, God? <laughs> you know? <laughs> he probably thought it, but he never said it out loud, <laughs> or at least it wasn't recorded for us. But I suddenly understood that everything that happened to me that he was very aware of and that it was allowed. And at first I was angry because I thought, you've let this happen mm -hmm. and it screwed up my life. I was five. How could you let this happen to a five-year-old? But then there's also six-month-old babies that have brain cancer. This is the world we live in, okay? It is. Statistics are what they are. It's the world that we live in. And, but then I started to think, you know, the stuff that I was talking about, about love, I know this is going to sound very bizarre, but what actually healed me was that I realized that he allowed me to do it. He allowed this to happen to me and he allowed me to go through all of these things. Even now I'm still going through them. But in the end, when, if Jesus had never said, love your enemy, I probably wouldn't be the way that I am right now. But because he said it, it changed my entire philosophy on life. I started seeing that the only way that we could end the evil was to stop it. We have to be the barrier. We have to stop it. And the only way we do that is if a man compels you to carry a case for a mile, go with him too. If a man wants to steer your, steal your cloak, give him your tunic. Like, stop the evil where it is. And so you've always heard like, you know, you can't really heal unless you forgive. Mm -hmm. And then I started thinking about that 16-year-old boy. And then I started thinking about before that. Like, what happened to that boy? Right. What caused him to want to do that to a child? And then, I'm sorry, go ahead, Andy. I was just going to say absolutely something. And then I, I, I started think, suddenly feeling love for that boy. I don't like, think you have oh, the no. idea if it's not given to you. No. I really don't. No. And it's just, it's suddenly, it's like, well, and see, that's what that's what this is. You see, it perpetuates itself. And that's what humans are. We perpetuate things through one another. But that's why I love Jesus so much, mm -hmm. is because he stops it. Mm -hmm. He sacrifices everything for everyone. And he tells his disciples to do the same. He says, you can't be one of my disciples unless you take up your cross. I mean, think about that for just a second. You're taking up your cross— you're carrying it. You're like, guess what? I've had all this stuff happen to me, and I'm going to openly talk to you. I'm going to go into this this kid's home. I don't care if you get paid to do this, to be honest with you. I'm glad you do, but I don't care because it takes a certain mind of a person to do what you do. My wife teaches special ed. It takes a very unique person to work with these children. It does. And I constantly have to tell her, no, you can't bring them home to live with us. You know, like it's always, <laughs> she loves these kids, you know? But I bring everything back to this, don't I? Love. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing to go back to. Why not? Dude, like, I think about that boy. I think about the parents of the boy. I think about the shame that it brought. I think about the shame that my parents felt. I think about how they tried to sweep it under the rug because they didn't want to deal with things. Then I learned things that had happened to my own parents. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, wow, this is rampant. Yeah. We are all closeting, hiding things. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're all just like, these bundles of fear and anxiety. And so, but thankfully, and I will say this, a non-Christian therapist helped me see it. That's why I love cognitive behavioral therapy. And I'll tell you, anybody that's listening to this, you should try it. You should. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't want to speak harshly of Christian counselors. They have their place, everything in its time. But for me, this guy, I'll never forget this guy. His name was Rick, and he was real. And he said, <laughs> it's not my fake Rick. But, but honestly, he didn't talk about my past. That was a shock because every counselor always brought up my past. And he was like, oh, I'm not worried about the past. I'm worried about today. What happened today? And I remember, I, I won't say who he was, but this one of, one of these bosses that I had in the past, he called me this 
the F word name and all call me an idiot and all this stuff. And I was so, I wanted to kill him. Like I wanted to murder him, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember because the guy called me an F an idiot. And so I went into my therapy session. He's like, you look like you're a little irritated. And I said, I am very irritated. And he's like, why? And I said, well, my, my boss called me an effing idiot. And he goes, well, are you an effing idiot? And I, I was like, I didn't <laughs> like that response, you know, because I'm like, you're my therapist. You need to hug me and love me, you know? And he was like, well, are you? And I was like, no, I'm not. And he's like, okay, then well, then could. what's the problem? Yep. You know, I feel like, Andy, honestly, I feel like you would have answered in the same way. Because a lot of times you have that dryness, yeah. like, well, are you an effing idiot? So this, why are you thinking about it? This, I don't get it. Like, what? Like, I have a thing about this, but God, it will derail this and I'm, it might be Just bad. Just do it. You're not going to derail uh, okay. it. <laughs> okay. This is literally the way I think about like white guilt. Like, like people will be like, white people did this horrible thing and they did unequivocally. But when people say that out loud, no matter how loud they are, all I, I'm just like, yeah, because I was born poor in the Adirondacks. I know it wasn't me. I know they're not talking about me. And maybe they're angry in general. Yeah. But I know it's not about me. Right. I just, and I know that they're not wrong. Yeah. So it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. It's not me. It's not personal. Right. So it's like, I get And to it. your point about the therapists, there are Christian CBT therapists. I go to one in, in Spartanburg. Oh, and see, and I didn't, I didn't have one at the time. This was <laughs> He actually has a podcast ago. called Tattoos and Jesus. Really? He's pretty amazing. Really? Yeah. So, like I said, I don't want to disparage Christian counselors. There is a time and a place for it. For me, it wasn't working because I, I kept hearing, it was like, um, I called it JPMs. How many Jesus per minutes did I have to hear? Common term in uh, Christian music industry. Yeah, Jesus per minute, yeah. you know? And so, for me, and I did, <laughs> it is. <laughs> But it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kept saying, look, I don't have a problem with Jesus. I love Jesus. And I talk to him about these things. But what I'm telling you is that there's something going on in my mind that none of this is solving. I need something else. And so what CBT, so what CBT did was it helped me learn the spaghetti incidents of my life and get clarity on how things were prioritized in my own mind. And at the end of my session, like, and this was what was weird. I, my sessions ended. He was like, okay, you're done. I mean, I kept thinking, don't you have a Mercedes to pay for? You know, like, <laughs> why aren't you going to keep this going? Which is what I always felt like I was going to be mm-hmm. perpetually forever, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. He was like, okay, you're done. You know? And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. And the things that we learned, he was like, just remember, always put God first. He's not a Christian, but it was my priority. It was and your he priority. Me. Yes. That's awesome. And so he wasn't the kind of person that said, well, you know, I don't need you to look God. You need to understand science and do what I say because none of that. I don't know why I went like, so. Yeah. Why do you talk <laughs> it's like because that? yeah. that's the voice you always do yeah. when you're being a little condescending. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. So, it doesn't yeah. matter what it's about. <laughs> Let me re- yeah. But but he wasn't Southern. So I don't know why I went like that. You know, yeah, like, you always do that. I'm telling you. You know, but anyway, he he didn't say any of those things. He just, he he said, you remember to put God first. Don't forget that. And I thought, this is amazing. This is a great therapy. They understand the human mind. They do. It's incredible. So anyway, I, I would try it, guys. Whether it's Christian or non-Christian, CBT, it's amazing. If you've been, if you have been through trauma, yeah, go get some help. Get it. Absolutely. It's amazing. I didn't mean to talk up your whole time. No, it, it connected <laughs> perfectly. Yeah. It it it's perfect. Is that does anybody have any questions that they would like to ask Emily? This is usually the little Q and A session at the end. What um, size are your feet? No, just kidding. Well, uh, <laughs> two. It's, it's crazy how small they are. No, they're not. They're regular feet. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if there's like a, a concise answer to this. I suspect actually there's not. So it might be kind of a squishy question. But when you were in that spot, when you were kind of like tr- starting to pull away from uh, uh, like drugs or whatever you were doing at the time, and, and you were still kind of playing like like dead mother to, to your friends and stuff like that. And you said you were working on yourself in that time, which is – First off, really difficult position to be in. To be around that and pulling yourself away from it without actually physically detaching is phenomenally difficult, first off. But uh, but you said you were working on yourself in that time. Like, what does that look like when you're in a situation like that, but at the same time, you're kind of starting to do some work? What does that work look like? Again, that might be a real hard question. That is a hard question, but I like challenges. Um, So I would say me pulling away was the work 
kind of, or at least partially. It could be part of the work and realizing that I needed to move on was part of the work, but I wasn't able to say goodbye. You know what I mean? It was, uh-huh. it was like yeah, a trauma response. It, I, ne- they, I needed them. I thought, you know, I'm like, those are your people. Yeah, and we experienced something together at different times in our lives or at the same time in a different state. You know what I mean? We were connected. And I loved these girls. Um, you know, it just— So it was like kind of self-realization sort of. Yeah. Sounds like. Yeah, and it yeah. was. It, yeah. Yeah, well, that's the first thing you have to do every time, isn't it? Yeah. I, I say as if I have a damn clue. All right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I mean— Anybody else got any questions? I think I'm good. Thanks yeah. for coming on, though. Emily. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I appreciate you really do, you know, just being honest and sharing that. And I can still see, you know, when the pain, you, there's still, there's always going to be that little bit of a pain. And it's that person that was back there, you know, and you, mm-hmm. who knows all the words that were said to you and all the stuff. But, you're, you know, I think we always uncover those little things. But I can tell you, man. I just shroud it with love. That's what I do. Yeah. And it, I mean, it works swimmingly mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. you know. But anyway, and that comes straight from the Lord mm-hmm. to me. Like, that's where it's from. Yeah. It's wild. It's wild. I don't know why, but that's he's given me the whole big dose of that stuff. So, big dose of love. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> is now a good time for a joke? You want to lighten it up just a little bit? <laughs> do it. Well, well, we'll be the judge of that. Yeah. Really. <laughs> I promise you, it's going to lighten things up a little bit. So, um, this really high-profile, uh, if very expensive attorney, dies a tragic death and goes and stands before the gates of heaven, and Larry the Fifteenth Apostle's hanging out there. He's and, uh, everywhere. He's he around. He is. So the attorney goes up and he's like, "I gotta admit, I'm kind of surprised that I'm here." And Larry says, "Well, you're not yet." And he goes, oh, he said, yeah, he said, you're going to, he said, you're going to have to answer some questions. And so the attorney goes on this small tirade of talking like lawyers do. He just, he tells him, hey, you know, listen, you, you can't think about it this way. And he does all these wonderful arguments, just like a lawyer would do. And Larry was like, you know, I think you've convinced me. You've convinced me. But here's the problem. You're going to have to go to hell for as long as you've been alive. And then we'll let you in. And the guy's like, really? Well, great, fine, I'll do it. So Larry goes, all right, well, we'll see you in 350 years. And the attorney's like, "Uh, that doesn't make any sense. I was only 65 when I died. And he goes, I know, but we only go by billable hours. Did you pick up on that already? <laughs> I feel like I've done one like that on an accountant before. <laughs> that was a good joke. Come on. Anyway, well, guys, thank you for being uh, in the studio. Emily, again, thank you. Ryan, thanks for being in the studio. Billy. Yes, sir. You still got that mega warhead in your pocket? You bet. <laughs> you know, just the- Extreme. Yeah, I guess I probably should have mentioned that Ralph Hicks was not here tonight. He was on a he was on a flight to San Antonio, so he could not join us by Zoom or be in the studio. So safe travels, Ralph. Of course, <laughs> we're in December now, so we don't know how it turned out for you, pal. <laughs> Andy, Sarita, Cherry, Holly. Thanks for coming, guys. Yeah, thanks for being yeah, thank here. You. Thank you for having us. We will talk to you next time on the Burrows of Berea. <laughs> <laughs> I like the little noises people make. It's always fun. Hey guys, this is Rick from the Burrows of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea, you'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys. Cherry's being mean right. to me. Yeah. We, well, we're recording, so if you're going to be mean to Rick, do it out loud. <laughs> do it. Uh, okay. Do it. Yeah, I, I'll okay. try not to talk over you guys too much. Well, it's, it's, no, you're fine. No, no, I no. mean, really, it's not like it's not like that. It's just a thing to be aware of. 
right? Yes. Like, yes, absolutely. Okay. It won't be so much in the testimony, but it will be in the right. Halloween episode. This one, really. Oh my God. This dog, this dog just f- walked in here and, and, and like crop dusted me and then walked out. <laughs> oh my God. So you who were looking for- Are you sure it's not for, Cherry's coffee? Yeah. You who were looking for poop on <laughs> well, your shoe, know. I found it. <laughs> it wasn't on your shoe. Yeah. Or in my It permeated your clothing. That was harsh. That was real strong. It's wow. still in was here. Was it fancy? Can you taste it? <laughs> I'm glad I that the door shut. shut. I just I think it was all like, I can taste it. Yeah, I, believe it was, I believe it was the three-legged dog, but I don't.